We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is officially postseason week across the NFL and, of course, right here in Baltimore. We're gearing up for the rematch, the wild card rematch between the Baltimore Ravens and, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals at Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati. Primetime football coming up Sunday night slate, and it's all on the line in terms of, hey, you either win or you begin golf season early here in the offseason. Welcome into the Ravens Vault podcast. I'm Bobby Trossett. Joined by my co-host and partner, Sarah Ellison. And partner, we got a lot to get to over the course of the next hour or so, including a one-on-one conversation that I had with Jay Morrison of The Athletic in Cincinnati. And I think we should start there because it's been a week full of essentially war of words between these two teams. There's a lot of bad blood. Cincinnati began their sort of post-game endeavors, if you will, last weekend calling out the Ravens for the way they played, calling it cheap, calling it dirty, and another number of other obscenities in there. So what have we made of all this, and how much do we think it's actually going to leak into Sunday night? I mean, it's definitely fun, right, to have genuine dislike again. It definitely calls back to the Ravens-Steelers days, uh, but it's a di- it's a different dislike this time, whereas, like, Ravens and Steelers, like both sides knew they were coming in and hitting hard. And then this time it's like one side is bringing the AFC North heat that as far as I can tell is clean. Maybe one, one that maybe, maybe was questionable, but you know, nothing too bad. And that's the Roquan side bump to Jamar Chase. Uh, But, but what's different about the dislike is that one side is whining about the physicality and that's the Bengals side. It, it like it's just it's just like again the closest thing was the was the Roquan Smith side bump into Jamar Chase, and if that is what you're worried about, like that doesn't even come close to some of the hard hitting that would come in those Raven Steelers games. Doesn't even come close. So it's just like, but what's funny about it, which I know you get into with your interview with Jay. Uh, I wasn't available for this one, so uh, you did a great job with it, and I'm excited for everybody to hear it. But as he pointed out, it was originally the defensive players that were talking about it being cheap, not the offensive players. And I don't see anything on the offensive players of the Ravens doing anything close or remotely cheap. I've seen and I've seen, Bobby, there's there's there's, you know, the the Cincinnati Bengals content creators kind of like us that have scoured through tape and then put stuff up as if that's the cheap stuff. And I'm like, really? Like. That's it. That that's that's what you got. I think one was just after a hard hit, and somebody was having a hard time getting up. And Roquan had grabbed the ball and is like shake, nodding his head up and down as if you can't celebrate. Like he wasn't celebrating the injury. I don't even think he saw the injury. And it's like that's the best you've got. You scoured tape for the last two days, and this is what you got. Nothing cheap or dirty about it. But all that talk has certainly elevated things. Let's go inside the locker room, around the locker room, in terms of what the Ravens had to say about all this noise, really, because all it is is noise. And if it's anything more than that come Sunday night, that ain't going to be good for either team. But here's how some of the Ravens responded to all the noise in Cincy. We'll see Sunday night. If it's smoke, it's smoke. I mean, we ain't running from nobody. If y'all feel like people was doing stuff dirty and y'all weren't at, at the same time, then, I mean, 
you could look at film in the past from what they was doing and stuff too. So I mean, at the end of the day, whoever got beef with each other, they got beef with each other. But at the end of the day, we going out there to play a football game. We ain't trying to do nothing extra, but we got a job to do. I'm not an official, um, and the officials didn't make no calls, so I don't see anything wrong with what went on and took place the last time we played them. How did you perceive that game? Was it chippier than as a game as you expect? Did you see anything that you felt like crossed the line? See you Sunday. <laughs> Night. <laughs> Absolutely. Sarah, we both watched that press conference live, and my gosh, that ear-to-ear grin that Roquan had there at the very end of that clip was worth going back to look at if you didn't have a chance to, to check out that press conference. He I mean, understands. Who was the second quote? The PQ was first. Roquan was last. Who was second? Well, the second was funny, too. Great. Broderick Washington's like, yo, I'm not an official. Everything was clean, oh. bro. It's <laughs> Washington. All right. Yeah. So, Who's having a heck of a year, by the way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, you know, I think Roquan is a tone setter. And the, the, the rest of this defense, the rest of the team follows. That's just the bottom line now. You know, he's your defensive franchise guy. He's been paid like, like it this week. And I think he's going to act like it again under the primetime lights. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And and so what's nice, though, I'll transition here into your, your interview with Jay. You appreciate his neutrality here because he said he also scoured the tapes and didn't and didn't see anything. So, listen, I am all for I, I'm all for Cincinnati getting the memo of what AFC North football is all about. So if they want to raise the level of their hitting to AFC North football, let's do it. Let's do it. What we don't want is any real dirty or cheap plays because there were no real dirty or cheap plays. So we don't need a retaliation to the point where you are starting to play dirty and put, you know, uh, injuries on the line. So raise the level. Let's get to AFC North level, but let's not for real get cheap. That'll take away from the integrity of the game, the entertainment value of the game, yeah. all that stuff. We don't need that. There's too much on the line. I didn't want to share two more clips before we toss to uh, okay. uh, my interview with Jay, uh, just for more context purposes, because the Ravens weren't the only ones talking. And, and essentially they were talking in response to all of the noise from Sunday on Wednesday. But Jamar Chase also did his fair share of talking on Wednesday, as he did post game as well. And he was mentioned in this exchange with reporters. Uh, he was asked about Roquan Smith. The one where Joe missed you in the end zone, yep. there was one. Do you feel like that they were trying to set some kind of a tone? Dude, he did that on purpose. It's all right. We got something for that. Does that stuff bother you? Nah. Did you notice that throughout the team trying to play that way? Uh, no, he was the only one trying to do messy stuff. Sarah, earlier this week and even at the top of the show, you called it whining, right, from what's been coming out of Cincinnati. And at the time, earlier this week, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I'm with that. You know, I, I, I maybe, maybe. Now I totally, totally see what you were saying. If you watch <laughs> you this clip. Yeah, I do see it now. I, it's It's ridiculous. Like. I think I called it like chirping earlier in the week. No, it's mm -hmm. whining. Go back and watch mm -hmm. the clip of, of Jamar with reporters. He's got this sour puss on his face, and it's almost <laughs> as if he feels so slighted by whatever happened, whether it was the, the Roquan play itself or anything else between the whistles. He just feels it's like this sense of entitlement. And then he takes this shot at Daryl Worley, who, by the way, had a heck of a game, I thought, at the cornerback position for the Ravens. You know, they needed the depth on Sunday in the regular season finale without Marcus Peters. And uh, listen to the cheap, kind of cheap, speaking of cheap, how about this cheap shot on Daryl Worley here? I don't even know his name. 41, the corner from last game. I don't I don't really know his name. Um, he was trying to be a little physical, you know, even though he looked like a, a, a safety slash linebacker at corner. So um, that was probably, you know, the only person really trying to be physical at the line of scrimmage. Sarah, I don't know if it's because they're the reigning AFC championship team or whatever, but there is this weird sense of entitlement that I'm kind of getting at here. This is just this is exactly what friends say or fans say that the Bengals don't know how to handle success. And it's like that right there. Really? Like you're going to put out. Yeah, I don't even know his name. Da, 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 da. And like Jamar definitely got, you know, his his catches on on Worley. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that Worley had had a good game based off of the expectations that you have that he's, you know, been uh, a career kind of practice squad guy and then he's been on IR for a while and then he came in with all the energy in the world like he he was like this is it this is my game and I thought you know 
he he did. He played well, but yeah, it's just the way that that you know Chase is doing it. That he's just like, no, it doesn't bother me. But we got something for that. Oh, okay. Like I don't even really know his name. It's just it is. It's all. It, it's like I I like the way PQ and and Roquan and we didn't play it, but Mark Mark Andrews. It's just such a more like. It, there's no veiled threats from the Ravens, right? They're just like, let's just lace them up on Sunday. Let's go. And if you got smoke, you got smoke. If you got beef, you got beef. Here we go. And let's let's just play on Sunday. And whereas these guys, it's just all these veiled threats, right? No, it doesn't bother me. But yeah, we got something about it. Oh, I don't even know his number. And it's just like, come on, you know, like it's and and the other quote, which was before Wednesday last week, they were like, I can't wait to send them home. Like there's just no, yeah, yeah. It, it, I guarantee, I guarantee it's like Ravens players are aware of it. They're definitely going to be fighting with one hand behind their back without Lamar, most likely. Um, but even Lamar, Lamar, even on on Twitter though, he liked PQ's quote. You know that he's like, if it's smoke, it's smoke. Let's go. We'll, we're ready for it Sunday. So. Ravens players are hearing it. They're definitely going to be fighting with one arm behind their back without Lamar. But they, uh, they, I'm telling you, Bobby, even without Lamar, these defenders are going to just, they are going to pound these guys just like they did last week. And it will not be dirty, but they will pound them and beat them up. If Even if they do advance, they're going to be hurting by the end of this game. More on the current Ravens quarterback situation on the other side of what's about to come this Jay Morrison conversation that I had earlier this week, but uh, sure seems like Jamar and a couple other players are bothered by whatever's happening here (laughs) in the aftermath of Sunday. But uh, yeah, I'm expecting it to be a bloodbath for all the marbles come Sunday night. There's going to be high, high entertainment value in this one, but um, let's get to my conversation with Jay as promised again, his piece on the athletic is what kind of got this whole conversation started. He did not have an agenda as you'll learn. I just kind of wanted to nip it in the bud right, right away, Sarah, right off the top of this interview in terms of, okay, how did this story come to be? Because as you'll sort of hear, he had to do an audible. Obviously writers have priorities and plans in mind after a game ends in terms of what they're going to lead with, what they're going to roll with. But as you'll find, as soon as he got into the locker room, he kind of had to punt on that initial idea after the Bengals game. So anyway, without further ado, here is my conversation with the Athletics, Jay Morrison here on The Vault. Okay, Jay, you know where we're beginning this thing with because your piece has certainly uh, wreaked some havoc this week in between the Ravens and Bengals fan base. But hey, all of it was was true stuff and certainly not fabricated. So, you know, first and foremost, I think when there's written quotes versus when players actually meet with the media, you know, in person, and obviously it ends up being on camera. I think there's a difference. Some things can get taken out of context, right? So some of these quotes are legit. I mean, dirty, cheap, you name it. What's your takeaway? And what was the tone used from some of these players who did speak up in the aftermath of the week 18 regular season finale? Yeah. So to take you inside the locker room, um, I went down and, the first person I went to was DJ Reader because he he's usually one of the best guys to talk to. And my focus was to talk to these guys about uh, how unique it's going to be to same the, see the same offense two weeks in a row and and how are how are they approaching that. And uh, the first question I asked DJ is he said, I don't really know. And then he gave the quote about I have respect for some guys over there and I don't have respect for some guys over there. And then he gave one more kind of inflammatory quote. And he, quote and he said that's all I got and he walked away and so I immediately pivoted I was like well this is interesting um so when I when I talk to other players with other media around you kind of go with the standard quotes and I would wait them out until till the the other media left and when I got them one-on-one I would say hey DJ said this what what's he talking about and then they would light into the Ravens and so I I think you know if there were cameras around that may not have happened. They may not have been so open to say what they said, but because it was just me one-on-one, I've covered the team for a long time. It's not like they trusted me not to write it. They wanted it written, but uh, it was just, it was, it was interesting. And I don't quite get 
where it's coming from. You know, they say it in the moment and and you got to write it. And then you go back and you watch the game. And this was all defensive players I talked to. So I'm like, well, what is the is the Ravens O-line doing some stuff under the pile or what? What are they talking about? And I, I go back, I watch the game and I don't real. I see a couple instances where the Bengals do this a lot. Their defense holds guys up and then tries to rip the ball out. And there was a couple times in when that was happening that some Ravens O-linemen would come and, and deliver some late blocks to try to pick those guys off. Fair game, if you ask me, but I could see where they would take exception as well. Um, so I, I almost wonder, are, are, there were, you know, Roquan Smith gave Jamar Chase the little shoulder shiver in the end zone after the pass breakup. There was some some after the whistle stuff like that. Nothing egregious, but just some some things like that. But then I wonder, you know, usually the Bengals defense is sitting on the bench and they're not really watching what the offense is doing. So I'm a little I'm I'm with John Harbaugh here. I'm a little confused where this animosity is coming from, unless it was under the pile stuff that was just out of view of cameras. That's where I was going next, because like you, I went back and, and watched some of this game and I'm thinking to myself, OK, you know, Roquan was was playing with his hair on fire. I think he knew mm. that an extension was looming. Right. So the guy was just sideline to sideline all over the field. Of course, you had that big Daryl Worley hit, a legal hit on T. Higgins coming across there. Uh, but other than that, and to your point, every single member who was quoted for something that kind of spiked the Internet a little bit was a defensive member of the Bengals. So I don't know where this stems from as well. I wonder if there's just bad blood in general. I wonder if they're trying to light this team on fire, their peers on fire ahead of the rematch, or maybe they're just pissed off. I mean, you've, you've covered this team for a long time, including this year, and I'm sure it's been a two weeks unlike any other given the scenarios that were in play from the NFL and the aftermath of DeMar's cardiac arrest and, and everything that took place schedule-wise. Are they still pissed off with how things went? Because it's over and done with now. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they are. I think they were still pissed off at the league. I, the Ravens had nothing to do with that proposal other than voting for it. Maybe that's what it was, just misplaced aggression. I mean, they were they were happy as can be. They were lighting cigars and dancing and thumping the music. It was a it was a wild, happy scene in that locker room. And so that's why it just kind of kind of struck me the the tone they took there. And even, you know, Jesse Bates saying, Can't wait to send those guys home. I mean, these guys don't say inflammatory stuff like that. They're the especially the older guys that have been around the league long enough and know better. It was I I think that might have played a role in it that they were so pissed off during the week and this was just a release a release of of the joy of officially cl clinching and then a release of the anger of, of what the the position the league put him in yeah that that jesse quote was one that resonated with me as well just because it wasn't all that long ago uh, that the Bengals were essentially in rebuild mode and and you've been covering them like like we've mentioned so i do wonder Joe's emergence and the Super Bowl run last year and and really this this entire remake up essentially of, of this organization uh what's it been like uh, in terms of their DNA now versus gosh even in 2019 when Lamar's MVP season right the Houdini Kevin Harlan call and running up the score okay. and and all that stuff uh just how, just how much has have things changed there DNA wise over the last couple of years Oh, yeah, it's I mean, I don't even know if night and day does it justice. It was, you know, 2019, Zach comes in, talks about building this culture and uh, they had some close games, but they start 0 and 11 and then everybody's got their eye on that number one pick and all Bengal fans see Joe Burrow as a savior. And, and can they finish it? Can they almost blow it? They go to Miami. They come back from a, a 23 point deficit to tie it and force overtime. And Bengal fans are like, what in the hell are you doing? Uh, they lose the game in overtime to clinch the number one overall pick. And it was, it was just all focus on Joe Burrow at that point. Um, he comes in, really starts playing well right before the ACL and Bengal fans just have that complex. Like, Oh, here we go again. Um, but since then, since the start of 2021, it has been, Unlike anything I've seen, I've covered this team on a beat every day basis since 2012. I've, you know, it was kind of a, a fly in here and there guy since 96. And um, it's just even with Carson here, this Joe Burrow is just a different guy. He has totally changed 
the makeup, the mindset, everything about this team um, and the fan base. I mean, the expectations for years was just win a playoff game. And then last year they win the first one, go all the way to the Super Bowl. Nobody's even talking about, you know, can they can they win a playoff game this year? It's it's can they get to the Super Bowl? And um, it's it, it really has been remarkable. It just shows you what this league is, that if if you get that guy at the quarterback spot, you've got a chance to put a Lombardi trophy in your building. And if you don't, you don't. Quite literally why this is one of the most important off seasons in Ravens franchise history, yeah. but that's a conversation for another day. And one we'll definitely be having in a few short <laughs> weeks from now, Jay, depending on how Sunday's rematch goes. But uh, you know, as someone who covers them year round, I'm, I'm interested to get your perspective on this. You know, the cockiness versus confidence label is often attached to Joe for good and for bad. And I'm, all I'm going to say is on the outside looking in, this dude's a dog. I love watching him, whether it's hold everything back, right, in his media sessions and try his best not to make a big storyline. I was thinking about that recently when they played the Bucks, right, in the Tom Brady yeah. matchup, or even most recently. Like, it's my whole career window in terms of, you know, going for Super Bowls. So, uh, you know him well. Cocky or confident? Uh, uh, yeah, confident for sure. Um, at times cocky, you know, his, his post game press conferences are much better than his Wednesday press conferences because you're right. He tries not to make a story of anything, uh, tries not to say anything. Um, last Wednesday was a little different It was the best Joe Burrow press conference I've ever been in, but it was, you know, that was in the middle of the DeMar Hamlin situation. And there was just this, a lot of raw emotion and uh, a lot of him opening up and and saying what was on his mind. And uh, you don't get that from him a lot, but you, you would, when, I guess when you can back it up on the field, then it, it, the, that cocksuredness doesn't, bother people as much and sure as hell isn't going to bother Bengals fans they love it but you know you you see him uh it was that Pittsburgh game they come back from the bye and um they start rolling the Steelers in Pittsburgh and he screams at the fans we the big dogs now um it's just the 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 team gravitates toward that the the fan base gravitates toward that um it's what Andy Dalton never had Andy Dalton was a, a solid quarterback where you had the pieces around him he could take you into the playoffs they just could never get over the hump he, he wasn't that dynamic leader that Joe Burrow is and it's it's just amazing what it's it's not like this coaching staff has given Joe Burrow control but if he if he says something or if he wants something he generally gets it and I go back uh week three they were zero and two and they, they started the Pittsburgh game really slow, make a great comeback, only to lose in overtime, uh, start the Dallas game really slow, overcome a double-digit deficit, come back and lose on a walk-off field goal. And I asked him in that press conference that Wednesday, I was like, I know it's not your choice, but if it was your choice, would you like to take the ball instead of deferring, just to go out and set a tone and, and, and try to play with the lead? And he's like, yeah, I would like to try that. Um, they haven't kicked off to start a game since then. If they win the coin toss, they take the ball now. Just because Joe Burrow said that in that press conference. Wow. Joe Burrow doesn't like to get under center. Um, since that week five game in Baltimore, he has hardly ever been under center. They they basically changed their entire run scheme where now it's all shotgun runs, this downhill gap power run. And they immediately transformed themselves from a going nowhere run game to the number one run game efficiency wise in the NFL. It's not a Baltimore run game where they're they're going to run it down your throat over and over again and run for all these yards, but it's when they run the ball, they're going to get five or six and they're going to be in second and four. Or if it's second and ten, then they're going to be in third and four. They're going to be in these manageable manageable situations. And it's just there, there so many times where Joe might even he's not he's not making a demand. He just says something in passing and they're like, well let's Let's see. He's our best player. Let's see if we can acquiesce here. And it even goes back to when they installed the offense with him as a rookie. They put in a lot of stuff that he did well at LSU just to try to ease his transition. And um, it's just it's kind of remarkable for a young quarterback to to have that much power. Yeah, no kidding. Sounds to me like he's on the road to autonomy, deservingly so, too. <laughs> right. I mean, this guy yeah. is just electric out there and showed some slippery uh some some <laughs> some elusiveness in the pocket last Sunday, which I think Ravens fans were 
literally losing their minds about because of uh, the lack of wrap-up ability by some of the outside <laughs> linebacker play. Um, before we wrap, Jay, how concerned are you about this Alex Kappa loss? We already know Lyle Collins is down, so the right-hand side of that line seems a little vulnerable. How is depth in that category? Yeah, it's a big deal because yeah, I just mentioned that run game where they they ascended to the number one run efficiency team in the league, and now the last the last four weeks they are thirty fifth thirty first in rush efficiency. Sorry, I can't talk. And thirty second yards per carry. And Lael Collins and Alex Happer are their two best run blockers, and they're both on the same side of the ball. They're both on the right side of that offensive line. And anybody that watched that game. Sunday knows that the Bengals had a hard time running the ball. Now, a lot of people have a hard time running the ball against the Ravens. That's an elite defense, but um, it is. It's a big concern. And, and and for what you mentioned as well, where, where Joe was was running around in the pocket like crazy. And he he has – that was one of the, the, the strengths of, in his game coming out that was an underrated strength was his pocket presence and his ability to feel pressure and kind of slip tackles. Um, he did take it to another level Sunday, and you, you wonder if, if he's going to have to do that again in this wild card game because um, they have Hakeem Adeniji is playing right tackle. He started 13 games at, at guard last year, and he was part of that offensive line that they gave up 51 sacks in the regular season and 19 more in the playoffs and just got abused by the Rams in the Super Bowl. Otherwise, they probably win that game. The uh, filling in for Kappa at guard is going to be Max Sharping, who's an interesting situation. He was a three-year starter in Houston, but he he earned the performance elevator, uh, at the proven performance elevator, where his contract jumped to 2.5 million this year the, the Texans wanted to get out from under that they cut him at final cut down day figured nobody else was going to want to grab that that contract and they were going to bring him back at a cheaper rate um, and the Bengals claimed him on waivers agreed to pay that 2.5 million he's been sitting on the he has he hadn't played other than a couple special team snaps all year um, and now this insurance insurance policy they get to cash in it's it's not it's not some unproven guy they're putting in for Kappa, but it is a guy that that hasn't played much this year. Were they holding back a little bit offensively speaking on on Sunday, knowing that in all likelihood at that time they were going to run it back a week later? Yeah, you, you know when they got up seventeen nothing, Brandon Allen was warming up on the sideline, and you're thinking, ooh, that that might be a little early for this. And I think if they had gotten one more score, they might have made that switch, and not just at quarterback, but at a lot of spots. But um, the, the Ravens started making a little bit of a comeback there. And um, I I do think they didn't pull guys, but they they definitely called plays differently offensively. There is a lot more. It, it seemed like every possession in the fourth quarter and even part of the third was just a matter of let's eat some clock. We don't care how much yards we gain. They, they weren't really – that concerned about Anthony Brown and that offense uh, making a rally to beat them. And it was, there was a lot of wide receiver screens that really had no chance of going anywhere and a lot of runs, even though they weren't running the ball. Well, it was just kind of hold it back and let's just try to get out of this game and move on to the wild card game, which they were able to do. And that's where we obviously uh, shift our focus to now, before we let mm -hmm. you go one matchup that you're most looking forward to. Cause I know, Look, one of those healthy scratches, at least at least we think he was a healthy scratch because he's missed the last few weeks, is Marcus Peters this past weekend. I expect him to be back out there on the outside along with Marlon Humphrey. And, man, just knowing the outside threats that, that since he's offense presents, I'm looking forward to a few of those matchups, whether it's Chase versus um, Humphrey or Peters versus Boyd or Higgins. I mean, you name it. <laughs> the reality is, Jay, that all three of those guys – if they were to come to Baltimore, all three would walk in and immediately be the number one guy. And I know that drives people nuts in this town because from a right wide receiver standpoint, and I'm sure you're going to talk to Jeff about this this week as well. It's There's just been such, such limited production uh, for years now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, the Bagels number four guy, Trent Irwin, an undrafted free agent. He might start on that Ravens team. I don't know if he'd be number, I don't know if he'd be number one, but he'd be getting <laughs> targets. Um, you know, my eye goes to the other side. It's it's I feel like the Bengals are gonna score 20 in this game. I, they just they 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 find a way, no matter how good the the other team's defense is, they're gonna get in that 20 range. Can the Ravens get to 20? And I think a big part of that's gonna be Mark Andrews. Um, the the Bengals have struggled to cover Andrews in the past. They last year they 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 brought in Trey Flowers, claimed him off waivers from Seattle, uh kind of made him a, a tight end coverage specialist. He did a great job against Kelsey in a couple games. Um you know, is is it going to be him? They they drafted Dax Hill in the first round of safety out of Michigan. He is he was basically an insurance policy against Jesse Bates possibly holding out, which Jesse didn't do. So Dax has hardly played at all. We saw him cover get in there and do some tight end coverage last weekend. So it's who are they going to put on Mark Andrews? Can they slow him down enough? Because as you mentioned, they, the Baltimore's receivers just don't scare you. And whether it's Lamar or whoever it is, if JK Dobbins is back and they've got that run game going, that's going to open things up. And, and Mark Andrews has burned this team in the past and he alone could be enough to, to, you know, get the Ravens in that, in that zone where they could possibly top 20. And if, if the Ravens defense can keep the Bengals right at 20, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Bengals lose this game. Well, we'll see who's throwing the football to Mark Andrews yes, out there. Big question. I, I, my my gut tells me as we tape this before certain things have been decided, it's probably going to be Tyler Huntley, which is yeah. a whole lot better than QB3, as we all <laughs> were reminded this past weekend in Cincy. But, uh, Jay, thanks so much for carving out some time for us here on The Vault. And uh, before you wrap, just let everybody know where they can find you where they can find your work on The Athletic and anything else you'd like to plug. Yeah, you can go to theathletic.com and, and go to the Bengals section. I'm on Twitter at jmorrisonath. And then my partner on the beat, Paul Daner Jr., and I have a podcast. We record three or four shows a week. It's called Hear That Podcast Growling. It's on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all the all the podcast platforms. All right, good stuff there from, from you and Jay. Bobby, thanks for taking care of that interview for the both of us. But yeah, I think we're we're good on on talking about all all the back and forth and the the cheap cheap stuff and get more into the game here. I think Jay, you know, pointed out that if there's a kink right in the in the Bengals armor, it's going to be on that right side of the offensive line. Uh, they're missing uh, Alex Kappa and who was the who was the other guy they're already missing, Bobby? Yeah, Leo Collins at the right tackle position. So if there's a vulnerable yeah. area, to your point. It's going to be the right-hand side of of Joe Burrow's protection. So, let's go Ravens pass rush. Time to time to take I advantage. I know, right? There. And finish, finish this time. Don't let don't let uh, Joe Burrow get slippery in that in that pocket. There, it's just it's the Ravens. Most of their sacks feels like it comes in cleanup duty, right? Where one guy, there's no one guy that just like is not like a T.J. Watt, right? That's like. I'm just going to beat my man and make this play all the way from start to finish on my own. It's usually like one guy gets pressure and it makes the quarterback get, you know, have to move out of their pocket and, and kind of go right or left. And then that's when another outside linebacker or defensive lineman or whoever <clears throat> seems to clean up. So, uh, 
you know, they just got to finish it this time. Bring, I mean, if, if it's coming from that right side and constantly flushing them out to the left, then, then, I mean, that's, that's where you got to get some cleanup duty there. I mean, but if a couple of guys can actually take advantage of their, you know, backups, then, then that's what you got to do because the Ravens have had their backups. I mean, you take advantage wherever you can. So that's on, on that side of the ball, but we all know the Ravens have their own injuries they're dealing with that, you know, is far worse than what the Bengals are dealing with. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second, too. You got me thinking about this whole sack production or lack thereof. There's cleanup duty sacks, and there's also sacks that tend to come in bunches. And for the Ravens, I feel like that's been the the story of their year. I mean, if it weren't for that half sack that Justin Houston was able to log that unfortunately kept him away from a big incentive, over a million-dollar incentive in that regular season finale, I don't think he would have recorded one since November. So that's kind of been the story, right? Like early on, we were talking about a group that was, gosh, top five in that category. And obviously there's been a a visible improvement from a year ago, but they've definitely leveled off for sure in in the last month or so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it can't, like this this is going to be a defensive-minded game and a running the ball. I mean, that that is the only path for the Ravens. I mean, we'll talk about in a second who's going to be at quarterback, but whoever it is, I mean, that's the path. And so you just cannot let Joe Burrow start connecting with Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Hayden Hurst and Tyler Boyd. I mean, it's just, it's just, it wouldn't be fair. So, I mean, the more pressure they can get on there, the better. As promised, let's shift gears into the quarterback discussion, because as we tape this, Lamar Jackson has missed 16 straight practices. We have not seen him. And and people always kind of wonder, why do you count those? Because they're important and it gives you context in terms of how cold he would be if he were to be asked to play, you know? And so we have not seen him since the December 4th, week 13 game against Denver when he injured his knee, sprained the PCL. And as we've talked about really at nauseum at this point, Sarah, we both believe that until proven otherwise, this is simply put something that was really, in terms of initial reports, initial indications, not as severe as it ended up being. And, uh, you know, that one to three week timetable from some of the national reporters initially looks like, uh, you know, light years ago at this point. And so, you know, the swelling, the most recent reporting from Jordan Schultz of the score indicated that uh, that that he's deal- still dealing with significant knee swelling. And so, you know, yeah, he's just not ready to go, unfortunately. And so everybody that kind of wants to, I thought Rich Eisen put it really, really well. And, and you, you did a good job of putting this in Thursday morning's vault. But Rich says, when there's uncertainty in the sports world, really, as in, in the world in general, whether it's pl- the political sphere, whatever, when there's heavy uncertainty, when there's a lot unknown, we as human beings tend to lean on conspiracy theories because it gives us comfort or maybe it gives us clarity. But in this case, we have no reason to believe that Lamar Jackson is using his setback, his knee injury as a negotiation tactic in January. And that's just fact. Yeah. And I think that uh, Jim Trotter, you know, also put it in a good way that it's just like, Oh, let me take the contract situation off the table for a minute. Two weeks ago, I was at a game and a player unsolicited came up to me and asked me about Lamar. And he said to me, I sprained my PCL in week one. He said, I'm still not right. He said, I came back only because our team is in the playoff hunt. He said, if Lamar has a grade two sprain, PCL sprain, he said, even if he gets back on the field for the playoffs, he is not going to be the same Lamar that we know. So from that standpoint, I think you could see the, fr- I shouldn't say frustration, but you could see where John Harbaugh was on this, that there's really not a lot you can do physically if he is not ready. And clearly, physically, he is not ready. So I hate to hear the contract situation brought into this, because if you know Lamar, that's not what he's about in terms of he wants to be there for his guys. I remember going back to the day after the draft and saying to Lamar, if you have a chance for the Hall of Fame, a gold jacket or a Super Bowl trophy, which would you take? And without hesitation, he said a Super Bowl uh, uh, Vince Lombardi trophy. Why? 
because that means he has done something special for him and his teammates. So he is not that individual egotistical guy. I don't believe this is about contract. I believe this is truly about his health and him wanting to be right so that he can perform for his teammates. Again, if if Lamar was going to hold out, I, I really do think it would have been in training camp. And and in terms of it, and it is exactly what you said with Rich Eisen, where like when there's when when you don't when things don't meet expectations, and because of those initial reports were like one to three weeks, and apparently John Harbaugh told Rich that he thought he could have been ready for that that Browns game, but here we are in the wild card game, and he's and he's still not there. So that so I get it. I get that it's like well. Hey, he 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 could have been out there, but if since he's not, it's got to be contract related. It's not a far reach to to kind of make that conclusion. Um, but the reason why I don't make that conclusion is based off of three things. Number one, consistent reports from several different reporters that there's still swelling in his knee. It wasn't just Schultz yesterday. I've seen other reports from that. Number two, it is not Lamar Jackson's brand. It is not who he is. He and I say that because all he wants to do is win Super Bowls. If he had the chance to go out and play in the playoffs after taking four weeks off, you know, and when I say taking four weeks off, I'm saying that in terms of people's conspiracy that he's not coming back, not because he's injured, but because he's got a con. It's because of his contract. Even if that were true, I still think he would come back because he wants a shot at at a Super Bowl. You know, but anyway, I think he loves football too much. And I think he loves his, his teammates too much to not go out there and battle with them. Um, and then number three, like, I just think that people keep misconstruing that the Ravens aren't giving him a contract because they don't believe in him and that he still has to prove something to them. They don't. And that's what Rich Eisen was also getting back in that in that clip, like legitimately. And this is why I don't, you know, get angry. I legitimately I think the Ravens love Lamar Jackson and have already decided that he's their guy. He's their guy. So then the con the 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 question back is then then why haven't they signed him? And it's not because of Lamar Jackson that they haven't signed him. It's because of the Cleveland Browns. That's it. That's it. They do not want to do bad business like the like the like the the Browns do, and and it's hard to to be able to say well, you know if they really if they really loved him they would pay that, and I just don't think that's true. I think they really do love him, and maybe I mean who knows? I mean they need to get a deal done, but if if jo- it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Joe Burrow, and um, uh, why is his name slipping me? Charge. Justin Herbert, thank you, Justin Herbert. It's going to be very interesting what happens with those two if Lamar's not done yet. Because if those two aren't fully guaranteed contracts, then then that does one hundred percent make the 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 Cleveland Browns deal with Deshaun Watson an aberration. It one hundred percent makes it a a a outlier, and so. That's just it. I think two things are true at once. I think the Ravens love Lamar Jackson and want him back and would be willing to make him the highest paid in terms of 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 annual money per year, but obviously not the richest in terms of fully, fully guaranteed contracts. So I think they both absolutely love him and two things can be true at once. At the same time, they do not want to be the Cleveland Browns and follow their business lead in making the decisions. Sarah, I, I do believe that we will continue to look at the Deshaun with all these deals that are coming up that you mentioned, the Burroughs, the Herberts. I I do believe that it'll continue to be an outlier there in Cleveland. You know, everybody that wants to look at that as a record setting or resetting deal that, that Cleveland made with Deshaun Watson. I don't, I don't think it'll be looked at that. I think it'll be looked at as a complete outlier, a complete aberration, but we'll see, like you said, you know, there's, there's more quarterback deals that need to get done before that can become fact. Yeah, and if they do end up getting fully guaranteed, then that's going to force the Ravens' hands for hand for sure. Exactly. Um, that, that'll but, make but the decision What's this for debate? Him. What's what's this hot debate you're talking about? Yeah, so obviously in all likelihood with Lamar not available come Sunday night, the question becomes who are you starting? You got two former undrafted rookies obviously. One has more experience than the other, clearly. But he's also the one that's dealing with some shoulder flare-up in the right shoulder, some tendonitis. That's Tyler Huntley. 
did not go in that regular season finale because of it, perhaps, or it was just a coach's decision based on them having a good understanding, a good grasp for where Lamar was, right? Maybe they, they've known all along that he was going to be a long shot for the playoffs. And maybe that was just part of John Harbaugh's rest strategy. We know he had to make that decision with several other key starters offensively. Uh, but the question becomes, are you going with Tyler if he's not even close to 100% with that shoulder? Or are you going with Anthony Brown, who showed some promise in the second half of his first career NFL start, which, of course, would make Sunday night under the primetime lights his second career NFL start? All right. Well, first of all, the way you set that up is you said, would you take Tyler Huntley if he's not even close to 100%? So in that scenario, no. But if he's like 90%, yeah, I think I'm doing Tyler Huntley. I need, I need some, this is, this is going to be, if the Ravens have any chance, okay, because the defense did play a good enough game to win it. If, if, you know, there was any, you know, if, if the offense hadn't spotted them 21 points with turnovers. Okay. I, the Ravens need somebody, if it's not going to be Lamar Jackson, the Ravens need a quarterback that is first and foremost not going to turn the ball over. That has got to be priority number one. And I feel like for the most part, he did have, it's not like he's been turnover free, but for the most part, I feel like Tyler Huntley has been clean with the ball. And so uh, if he were 90, 95%, I think I'm taking Tyler Huntley. I prefer the experience. I prefer the fewer turn- turnovers and I one half of football for me isn't enough to to convince me that Anthony Brown is the better option over Tyler Huntley. Uh so that's that's who I would if I had the choice of a 90% Huntley or a, a or Anthony Brown I'm going Huntley. It's hard to disagree with that, you know, based on what you just presented there. I think the the flip side argument that I've heard and and read and seen in the last couple of days is that Folks like the way that Anthony kind of sees the football field, his pocket awareness, his pocket presence. Mm -hmm. And I know we've discussed this in recent weeks that Tyler's Achilles heel has been his reads. So after the initial read, whatever the design play is, is for, you know, in terms of a pass catcher and, and, and passing situations, if it's not there, if he doesn't like it, if he doesn't think he can fit it in, the second read almost always is, I'm going to use my legs. I'm going to flush out to the right and run. I'm going to scramble. And so I think we saw in the second half a little bit more ability to move the chains, you know, to move the ball a little bit via the air uh, if if I'm talking about Anthony. But at the same time, does that outweigh what Tyler's proven now? And, you know, guys gotten double-digit games under his belt with Lamar being down in the last couple of years in crunch time. So I think if we're talking about, you know, what outweighs one another, Sunday night with everything on the line in postseason play, experience outweighs a half. I'm with you. Even with Tyler Huntley, the Ravens have been moving the ball. So, you know, Ryan Mink had put out, you know, the the offensive yards per game with and without Lamar Jackson. He split it up from weeks four to twelve. I don't know why he did four to twelve and not one to twelve. But anyway, they were they were they were putting up three hundred and forty seven yards per game. And then weeks 14 through 18, so it's a little bit of both, but obviously more Tyler Huntley, they were moving the ball. They were they had 311.6 yards per game. So obviously it's dipped. I mean, you're going to dip with Lamar Jackson, but 35-yard difference isn't that bad. So, you know, Tyler Huntley is moving the ball. What is the issue and what has always been the issue and was even the issue before Lamar went down for a couple of weeks, and so uh, this is on the whole offense and Greg Roman, it's the points per game. So points per game for weeks four through 12 uh, was 22 points per game. And then the weeks without Lamar was 13. That's the dip, the 11-yard dip in points per game. So it's all about red zone. So, you know, you know whoever's out there, Tyler, Lamar, uh, Anthony, Greg Roman's got to be calling a good game in the red zone. And then they've got to execute because I feel like with or without Lamar, they have been pretty good at moving the ball. They just have got to score when they have opportunities. Here's what uh, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky thinks about the quarterback situation with, again, in all likelihood, 
no Lamar being available Sunday night. Very simply, if the Cincinnati Bengals don't turn the football over, they, the Ravens have no shot to win this game. They're, they're too good of a team to go against. Now, defensively, how do the Ravens go about somewhat trying to slow down this offense? Number one, you have to live in too high quarters type of shell. But be aware that Joe in this offense is going to take their shots downfield. This is just a little underthrown by him last week. I think the second thing is understanding that the right side of Cincinnati's offensive line is new. We talked about that yesterday. Attack it. Force those guys to communicate. Force those guys to pass things off. Force those guys to make sure that they're on the same level on a consistent basis. And this defense that uh, Baltimore runs has those blitz packages. If I was Cincinnati, I would be sitting there going, what are you going to do to our right side? That's the only shot. Cause, and I, I feel I, I hate when analysts sit there and say, well, they don't turn the foot because I think we have to be better than that. But it's very simply in this game, if Joe Burrow don't give the ball away, there's no shot Baltimore wins this game. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly – you know what? I feel like we just said that it's like you can't turn the ball over. There's the offense isn't good enough to overcome spotting them points. I mean, unless the defense can get like a couple of pick sixes or maybe we can get some kickoff returns for touchdowns. I mean, the, the, the offense isn't good enough to to spotting them points. So they absolutely cannot turn the ball over. And Bobby, by the way, as you were playing that, I checked out Twitter. It was just announced. Sorry, a bit of a, a topic change. Roquan Smith was just named the AFC Defensive Player of the Month. <laughs> He's having a week, man. He's having a week. Signs a five-year extension for $100 million. He was voted yesterday as the team MVP by the local media. That's the local media's award. And now he's named the AFC Defensive Player of the Month. Can we get that good juice going to where he actually wins, this, wins a playoff game? Can we can we get that going? Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too much here. That's a big ask. You're also forgetting one thing, too, that made it a week like an all-time week. His Georgia Bulldogs absolutely clobbered TCU oh, in the national yeah. championship game. So, yeah, this dude's having a heck of a week. And matter of fact, we do got to give Rose some love because uh, all of his teammates, as you heard on this week's Morning Vault on, on Thursday morning, found out of his news through Twitter. Like the guy was just so hush hush about it. He's so selfless. He's so humble. And he talked about it during his first press conference after the record setting deal. Honestly, I don't really like a lot of attention. So like, I don't, I don't like, like going around talking up myself saying, Hey, this saying that about myself. So I figured the guys would eventually uh, find out. And I was just going to let it come out uh, when it came out. And I wasn't trying to be like the guy, like, Hey, look at me. I did this. I did that because that's not my, not how I roll. And those guys know that as well, but just happy to be here. I don't think it's really uh, sunk in, but like, man, it's, it's, it's crazy. Just knowing like, you know, where I grew up at and like such a, small town such a small rural town southwest georgia marshallville georgia population like 1100 right now no stoplights anything so just being a kid from that environment and just you know putting my mind to things and just knowing that there, anything is possible if you, if you put your mind to it and for all the kids back where i'm from in macon county and all like just knowing that there's so much more out there in life outside of what's in what's in that small town and man thankful thankful for everyone that's helped me be in this position that i'm in and like making my dreams come true and living it out, man. But it's it's an amazing f feeling, and I feel like I'm just getting started, and I just want to continue to do my best and just keep getting better year in and year out uh, to bring many championships here. So, again, I mean, we're starting to kind of really see this whole nickname, right, the Uncle Roe nickname. He's an old soul, and really just at his core, he's a humble dude who earned every penny of this new deal over the last nine games since they acquired him pre-deadline. Yeah, I mean, listen, he 1,000% earned the deal that he just got, 1,000%. It was an excellent trade by Eric DaCosta, who I feel like uh, has had very good uh, mid-season trade deadline uh, uh, trades, and it's just this is another one. And for them to lock him up before the season ends – uh, that is that is really good news, and it allows them the franchise tag on on Lamar Jackson. So, uh, excellent excellent move for them to to trade for him and then get the deal done a couple weeks later. So, Bobby, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Let's head into. Uh, why don't you give me your key matchup of this game? Well, we've already mentioned it, and two, just for starters, you know, our email inbox is is full right now. What we're going to do, just for timing purposes, and being that potentially the season could be over this Sunday night. We're not sending any bad juju, bad mojo, but we're going to do a big uh, email Q&A episode, like 
fully designed answering listener questions uh, next week. So uh, hit us up with your your questions via email at BaltimoreRavensVault at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we possibly can coming up next week. Now, with that in mind, the, the matchup, I mean, we've already kind of noted it, right? The, the right-hand side of, of Cincinnati's offensive line is vulnerable, and their depth is going to be tested. So I think, you know, hey, the left-hand side of Baltimore's defensive line has to answer its test. I'm talking about Justin Matabike for some interior pressure. Calais Campbell could be playing, could be playing in the final game of his future Hall of Fame career. I expect him to be playing super inspired football. JPP's got to keep sipping from the the fountain of youth. They're going to need all the interior pressure, all the edge pressure that they can possibly bring and throw at Joe Burrow because we know how cool he is in the pocket. And uh, that's got to come early and often, Sarah, in order for a piece, a piece of the formula. There's there's multiple layers of this formula for a win. That's got to be at the top of the list. Yeah, 100%. That is, you know the the matchup to watch but just to give another one on the offensive side um i've said already that i think it's like it's it's got to be the run game the run game's got to get going uh jk dobbins has got to get going let's see if if gus edwards gets out of concussion protocol hopefully first and foremost he's feeling okay and then second of all that he could get back because they're going to need that that two-headed monster so but but i'm going to be looking at tyler linderbaum and DJ Reader. Uh, I thought Linderbaum did a did a great job on Reader. Uh, Reader wasn't available for the first matchup. He was for the second. And DJ Reader is one of the, you know, really good defensive tackles in this league. So let's keep that up. Let's win in the trenches, starting with Linderbaum versus DJ Reader. Let's open things up and let's get that run game going. All right, my prediction for this one is Cincinnati 24, Baltimore 20. I think it's going to be a lot closer than than folks are going to predict on the national scene uh, because the Ravens are going to come in and play with a lot of pride. They're obviously ticked off. Both sides are ticked off, but ultimately Cincinnati's firepower is going to be just just too much to keep up with offensively speaking when we know that points have come at a premium. Uh, and it's been very, very, very difficult to score points ever since Lamar Jackson went down well over a month ago. So I will go with Cincy. They're going to dance on past the wild card. And then all of a sudden, you and I are going to be in fully entrenched in an offseason full of storylines. Yes, we for sure will. Bobby, I'm also predicting a Cincy win. I'll go 27-17. I'm just not sure the Ravens can get enough offense without Lamar Jackson. But let me say this. You know, at the end of those NFL Network um, preview games, they put up all the predictions from their experts. I mean, there's like a good 12 guys, okay? They put that graphic up, and that graphic, all 12 has the Bengals. And even though I'm also projecting a Bengals win, you better believe if the Ravens somehow, by some miracle, pull off the upset, I will be tweeting out that graphic and and showing how the, the Ravens overcame everybody's disbelief, including my own. So I would love for them, love for them to prove me wrong. It would also be so sweet, so sweet after all the trash talking and all of that to somehow be able to pull this off. But I am not predicting it. 27-17 Bengals. If you end up tweeting out that graphic, I know you have uh, plenty of, of design experience. I'm going to need you to edit it. And put in both of ours yeah. predictions so that we can okay, be let's held all accountable. Do it. Yeah. Yes, we need to be held <laughs> accountable. Good. But uh, but yeah, hey, yes. I, I think this is going to be a heck of a game. You know, the Ravens defense is a prideful group, and they've shown us for weeks now, if not over a month, that they are fully capable of keeping this team in games, even with a shell of itself offense without Lamar. So if that proves to be true, it's going to be another good one. It's going to be another classic. AFC North game under the lights. So uh, again, hit us up with your questions at Baltimore Ravens vault at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we possibly can in a special Q and a episode that I hope, I hope isn't the first of our off season, but you never know. It may end up being the case. And of course, partner, you and I will be back for our instant reaction episode on Sunday night. It's going to be a late one. Kadri and I will be streaming pregame from three to five at Pickett Brewing Company on Packer Street, just outside M&T Bank Stadium. If you want to come down, the projectors are going to have the postseason games on whoever's playing 
uh, at that point on Sunday. And then, of course, you and I will be back as soon as this one finishes up, which will probably be after midnight on technically Monday morning. So we'll look forward to that. And with that, we're going to close it down on this postseason game preview episode here on the Ravens Vault podcast. If you haven't already done so, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and uh, letting everybody know and a friend or Ravens group message, whoever Ravens roost group, you name it, uh, what we're building here on a daily basis on the Ravens vault. Thanks so much for being with us and we'll talk to you soon.